0: Frank and Mabel, Frank and Mabel had been married for 40 years. And Frank turned 60 a few months earlier, and they were now celebrating Mabel's 60th birthday. And so they were both 60 years old. Well, during Mabel's birthday party, Frank walked into the other room, and he was surprised to see a magic lamp. He rubbed the lamp, and of course, out popped the genie. The genie says, you know, I have good news and I have bad news. The bad news is I'm only going to grant you one wish, but the good news is you're free to ask for anything you want, and I will grant you that one wish. What would you like? He thought for a moment, said, yeah, well, you know, I'd really like to have a wife who's 30 years younger than me. The genie said, no problem, I will grant you this wish, and poof, suddenly Frank was 90 years old. I don't think that's quite what Frank had in mind, but it served him right. Be careful what you wish for. Some may secretly wish to have the opportunity to ask for one thing, and it will be granted. You know, if I had this one thing, I'd be happy. And some come to God with an expectation that God will grant them whatever they wish, Some treat God like this genie who's there for their every request. Now, as we've been working through our sermon series uh, this summer on Follow Me, it is apparent that Jesus chose to thin the ranks of the crowds of people that were following him for the wrong reason by pulling no punches as to the cost. And for those of you who haven't been with us in the sermon series, we've been looking at the marks, the characteristics of a true disciple. And one of the reasons for this series is that since we exist as a church to make disciples, it takes one to make one. So let's look at what Jesus says about discipleship. All right, if you're not there, turn your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter eight, we' looked at selected passages along the way on this journey, on this sermon series uh, of what Jesus says about discipleship this morning. We look at John chapter 8 verses 31 through 36. Now Jesus here is speaking to a mixed audience in these verses of John 8. In this crowd, there very well could be uh, some who believed. Because they wanted the material benefits that would come uh, to followers of Jesus. You know, a, a genie God, a miracle God. There are many still looking for that today. I want a miracle God. Not that God doesn't do miracles, but that's not the only truth about God. Most of life is not lived there, is it? Now, as I pointed out several weeks ago, Jesus is looking for, isn't looking for fans, he's looking for followers. Now, passage in John 8, I want you to notice, kind of sets it up for this morning. John 8, uh, go back to verse 30 for a moment. I want to just read this verse. Uh, in verse 30, he says, Even as he spoke, even as Jesus spoke, many put their faith in him. And you have to ask, is this genuine faith? I mean, do they, do they, they really want to follow Jesus? Well, Jesus leaves it open. He wants them to decide. By what he's going to say next. Alright, and that brings us to our, our passage more, verse thirty-one. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. A safe assumption I believe I can make is that all of us in this room wanna be free. And my aim for this passage, based on Jesus' words here in John 8, is that we will all experience in a greater way real freedom in our lives, that we are happy in freedom. So we're going to look at the who, the what, and the how. Who gives us this freedom? What is this freedom? And how do we experience this freedom? All right, let's first look at the who. Who gives us this freedom? Who's the one that makes us free? Well, the who's rather obvious, right? Jump ahead in the same passage down to verse thirty-six. Verse thirty-six. Follow along. Jesus says in verse thirty-six, he's speaking of himself. The son, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. How convinced are you that Jesus wants you to be free? And what is keeping you, perhaps, from this freedom? These are very potent words from Jesus here. And in context, it's in reply to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day who objected to Jesus' insinuation that they needed freedom. And so now go back to verse 33. We see their objection. They, these are the ones, likely part of anyway, who believed in him, who put their faith in him. They answered Jesus we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone how can you say that we shall be set free now of course they're thinking of a different kind of slavery and isn't it interesting too that even in their suffering here it seems like a kind of amnesia they're living in denial in this comeback here it's not based in reality they, they have been, they've never been slaves to anyone. I mean, you sure about that? No, no, no. They were slaves, remember, in their history back in Egypt? They were, they were under the domination of, of, of Babylon and they were slaves there, and they were slaves of the Greeks. And now, even as they're speaking here, they're under the rule and, and, the, and the dominion of the Romans. Now notice Jesus' reply here to what they're saying. We've never been slaves to anyone. Look at verse 34. Follow along. Jesus says, you're delusional. You've forgotten your history. You've been slaves. What world are you living in? All right, Jesus doesn't say that, but that's kind of what I think I would say there, right? I would have been drawn into this trivial matter and kind of chased this. And said, you guys are all wrong on this. No, no, Jesus doesn't do that. He has a deeper point to make. And Jesus replies, verse 34, and here it is. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, folks, that's an offensive statement. It still is. What Jesus speaks of here is not a mark of Jewishness, but a mark of bondage to sin and unbelief, that everyone sins, and so everyone is a slave to sin. Everyone, not just Jews. Jesus' point here is that this slavery is much deeper and much worse than any physical slavery. We all sin and we're all slaves of sin until the power of sin and Satan is broken in our lives. And Jesus alone is the only one who can set us free from the slavery of sin. Otherwise, we are slaves to sin. Recall this young child was, was, was running out of her Sunday school class down the hallway. And there were a bunch of adults who were coming down and see what was going on in that classroom. There was all kinds of commotion down there. And so as they're running towards the classroom, this girl is running out and, and, and she runs into them And the young girl says to the adults who were coming to investigate, she said, we're being bad and we don't know how to stop. And we don't know how to stop. You know, that's a pretty good description of our enslavement to sin being bad and we don't really know how to stop Jesus wants to set you free from that the who here is important the who here is important because the source of this freedom is at odds with what the world tells us is the way to freedom we have been told that self mastery is what sets us free that is a lie that is a lie That that there's no master but yourself. Listen, that is the very thing that's keeping some people from coming to Christ. Interestingly, as we celebrate Independence Day, the day in which we achieved self-rule, in contrast to that, the way to Christ is by relinquishing self-rule. Interesting. I mean, as long as I want to rule my life and I want to control my destiny and I want, to control, I want to kind of call the shots and I want to trust in myself, I will not experience the freedom as Jesus speaks of it here. You see, it's all about having the right master. So I ask you the question. I ask myself, what do you live for? What are you living for? Career? Money, others' approval, are you living for the next experience, are you living for a certain status, are you living for fill in the blank, whatever that is, is your master. You're going to serve somebody, right, Bob Dylan put it, you're going to serve somebody. Is it time to submit to Jesus as your master and Lord? It's been said this way, the birthday of America is Independence Day. The birthday of a Christian is your Dependence Day. I love that. Birthday of America is Independence Day. The birthday of a Christian is your Dependence Day. And until you acknowledge that, you have no mastery over sin, and in yourself you can pull it off. Are you ready to depend on what Jesus did for you, dying in your place to free you from damnation and the dominion of sin. Now, in a mixed group, it's fair to me to ask this question Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? If not, then you are still enslaved to sin because you're either a child of God or a slave to sin. Look at verse 35, he says it. Now, a slave. A slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. A son or daughter belongs to it forever. And what 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 helps us experience true freedom each day is knowing that we are his child. We sang it earlier. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how his oh his love for me. Who the sun sets free. Oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And I can't help but when we sing that, to go, yes, I am. So sorry if you heard that this morning. That was me. That was me. But can you say that with certainty? And do you need to remind yourself during the day that you're his child when the world beats you up? Or when when those accusations fly into your headspace, calling into question your salvation, can you say, I am a child of God? Ah, let it sink in deeply. Remind yourself as often as you must that you are his child, that you belong in his family. See, freedom is found not simply in who you are, but whose you are. You're a child of God if you know Jesus. The alternative is a slave. You're carrying through life your past sins, you're carrying through life your regrets, you're carrying through life all that guilt. Where's the freedom in that? Likely I've shared this illustration before in some setting but in the classic film, The Mission, a soldier, Captain Mendoza, kills his brother in a feud over a woman they both love. And if you haven't seen the movie or you you don't even have to go see it, just go to YouTube and check out this one scene. It's worth it. Because desperately depressed after what he did in killing his brother and consumed by remorse, Mendoza feels the only way to get rid of his burden of guilt and sin is to perform some sort of penance. Many live this way. So he he ties this huge net around him and to his back. He fills it with boulders. And then he drags this net as he climbs up this mountain. The company of the priest and some others, Mendoza travels with his net of boulders behind him. He climbs over rocks and swamps and thick brush, across rivers and, and through forests. You see him in one scene. He's cut and he's bruised and he's bleeding. A broken figure crawling up the mountainside. The huge weight dragging behind him. From time to time, the others in the group urge him, let go of that burden. You don't have to carry it anymore, they say. But he cannot leave it. Eventually, reaching the top of the mountain, he finally collapses from exhaustion. Right then, this little boy, if I remember this correctly, this little boy comes up to him and he cuts the net that he's been carrying around. And as the net and the boulders cascade down the mountainside, Mendoza's filled with a feeling of total release. His burden is gone, and he knows he has been forgiven. And for the first time in his life, he felt free. It's gone. What are you dragging around? Now he's to finally be released to the forgiveness of Christ. Christ. Are there boulders in your nets? Are they places where you're kind of messed up? Jesus doesn't want you to live there. He's cut the net. Jesus wants you to be happy in freedom, the freedom that he gives. The son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That's the who, the what. What does this freedom look like? Well, you know, there's a lot of confusion around the meaning of true freedom. I'll try and stay in my lane here this morning, but it's going to be tough. The world says that freedom is doing whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. That also is a lie. It's a myth. And in the land of the free, freedom is often synonymous with personal independence. I can do whatever I want. In the land of the free, We are a nation of addicts, slaves, slaving sins, out of control behaviors, in the name of freedom. is freedom doing whatever we want, whenever we want. All right, consider, you choose to go skydiving. Why anyone would choose that is beyond me. Not on my bucket list. But you would argue, Oh, no, you don't understand, Pastor. If you want to experience the fullest exhilaration of freedom, it's jumping out of that plane and free falling through the air. It's all yours. Go for it. All right, suppose, play along. As you jump so happily out of that plane, unknown to you, your parachute's defective. It's not going to open no matter what you do. Are you free? It feels like freedom, but in a minute or two, you'll be toast. That momentary exhilaration is gone. I liken that to one who is free, falling, enjoying every second of this freedom. They're doing whatever they want, whenever they want, and in the moment of free-fall greed and free-fall fame or free-fall sex or free-fall luxury or free-fall power or free-fall drugs, it might feel like freedom for the moment, but are they really free? Free indeed. I mean, just because you're free to do something doesn't mean you're free indeed. Because if the thing you're free to do will only destroy you and others in the end, then you are not fully free. The freedom Jesus gives, the freedom Jesus gives is not the freedom to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it, but the freedom to do what we ought to do. The freedom to be who we are meant to be and the freedom to do what we were meant to do according to God's blueprint. Now these words here from Jesus are in the context of discipleship. It was not written to explain the freedoms of modern-day America. Matter of fact, we have to be careful here because to compare Christianity with patriotism is idolatry. Jesus speaks not to our political freedom, but something much more significant, our spiritual freedom. I mean, there are great political leaders who are all for freedom, yet are in the grip of lust, or grip of fame, or pomp, or power, or money, or pride. Jesus isn't talking about that. He's talking about the spiritual freedom that we all can have. Christ has set us free. Not from Britain, a tyrannical rule, but from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and some future day, the presence of sin. Jesus came to set us free from Satan's bondage. And when he touches you, you will never be the same again. So I ask you, what would it look like for you right now to relinquish self-rule? The Son has set us free. We are free indeed. That means we no longer have to live under our former master of sin any longer. It means we're free to obey. We're free to let others be who they are. We're free to let others have a different take on things. We're free to love. We're free to forgive. We're free to enjoy God and his good gifts. We've been set free from needless restrictions. Now, This is where i got to stay in my lane. Some get a little nervous about freedom we have in Christ. What if it's abused? Well, Scripture speaks to that. What if people go too far in the use of their freedom in Christ? Scripture speaks to that. Scripture speaks against using your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Galatians 5. Scripture speaks to shoving your freedoms in someone else's face. Romans 14 and other passages. So we got to be careful over there. But having said that, having said that, we ought to have equal concern about the freedom police. You know, those freedom killers who spy on your liberty and they're quick to gas. You can't do that. You're a Christian. Irma Bombeck, she loves to tell this story. She was in church one time, and a small child was sitting right in front of her, and, and, and this, this child kept turning around and smiling at everyone. This young boy was just smiling. He wasn't, he wasn't tearing the hymnals. He wasn't rummaging through his mother's pocketbook or killing, kicking and screaming. He was just smiling. Finally, his mother jerked him about in a stage whisper that could be heard by everyone else in the room, and she said, stop smiling, you're in church. <laughs> You've all broken it. She'd be yelling at you. Now, sadly, all right, sadly, that is some people's impression of what following Jesus is supposed to look like. Joylessness. No, not true, true disciples of Jesus. Now, I'm going to stick my neck out a little bit. Not like the first time I've ever done this. But I'm going to say that legalism is one of the major enemies of vital Christianity. Legalism is one of the major enemies of vital Christianity. It kills the spirit of joy of those who wish to enjoy their freedom. Now, there's some in the crowd that day when Jesus was uttering these words, They were Pharisees and they were the religious leaders of the day who prided themselves on conformity to an artificial standard for the purpose of exalting themselves. They loved to throw cold water on anyone who enjoyed freedom. You can't do that. It's Sabbath. Legalism, that's why I'm bringing it up, is at odds with freedom. A legalist is someone whose list of rules is longer than God's and they want to impose their list of rules and regulations on others. Now it's more than that, but it's at least that. Max Locato put it this way, he said, legalism has no pity on people. Legalism makes my opinion your burden, makes my opinion your boundary, makes my opinion your obligation. And nothing will keep a Christian more immature than trying to keep a long list of rules you got to work that out because I need to move on. But Jesus came to set us free from all of that, and we live in that. We're free indeed. All right, looked at the who, looked at the what. What about the how? How do we get this freedom? All right, key verses 31 and 32. Read them again. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we see here that it's knowing the truth that sets us free. Now, just as there's a lot of confusion around freedom, there's even more misunderstanding about truth. I'm going to date myself here, but do you remember the popular toy Etch-A-Sketch? You all dated yourself. There's a modern version of that, apparently, but the old ones, little knobs here, right? And you could draw some picture. I mean, I never could, but, you know, most people would draw some picture on that, and on that extra sketch. And if you didn't like it, which most of the time I didn't, I'd erase it. Or if you changed your mind about what you do there, now nah, I'm going to do something else. Or, you know what, I want a different picture. And you'd draw the next picture, and that one would disappear just by shaking it. David Jeremiah compared that to our society today. And he says this, unfortunately, too often our society writes its moral standards on its own etch-a-sketch. Our cultural sense of right and wrong is based on societal consensus, not the unchanging word of God. And abandoning the absolute standards of a holy God would become a world in which morality is relative. It's whatever people want it to be. And once we erase real absolute truth and replace it with whatever we want it to be, the truth will be forever changing. I don't like that one. Let's erase it. No, I don't like that one either. Let's change it. So when you speak of truth, it will set you free. We need to be clear on the truth that we're talking about. Because that verse right there, verse 32, and I even heard it quoted recently on something I was watching on TV. That verse 32, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, is up there, I believe, is the most misused and misapplied verses in all of Scripture. For example, Greek philosopher Plato used that verse and speaking of finding the truth that is in you. Self-knowledge, be true to yourself, then you'll be free. There's a psychological interpretation of the truth will make you free, and it's this. Tell the truth, and you'll be free from guilt. Tell the truth, no matter how much damage it does to anybody else. Be brutally honest. Don't keep it in, or you'll do some psychological damage to yourself. One psychologist said, your truth will free you, but you have to work to birth it. Really? We must live our truth Oh, no, no. The big thing is, be our authentic self, which has only led to an endless cause for self-expression. Again, this is where I need to stay in my lane. Work it out. A lot of problems around because of this idea of what truth is. What is it truth will set us free? Jesus ties it to What? in verse 31 to his teaching his word you'll know the truth of the word about Jesus and who he says he is you see there is no authentic self unless it's shaped by god's truth there is no authentic self unless it's shaped by god's truth so knowing who Jesus is and what he came to that's what frees us from the slavery and the bondage to sin there's no freedom And jumping from one pleasure to the next or the hopes of the deepest need in you is met. But when you know the truth of Jesus, you're free from chasing all those other things for satisfaction that have taken the place of God. All right, how do we get this freedom? Giving it to you rather quickly. The first one is, how can we be happy in freedom? First of all, we need to stick with truth, God's truth, no matter what. No matter what. We stick with truth, God's truth, no matter what. Because if we're to know this freedom, it requires we hold to my teaching, Jesus says. And the thought behind Jesus' words hold to my teaching, it suggests sticking with God's word. It's not a one and done kind of thing. It's, to, it's really to form lifelong practices of taking in God's word and thinking about the truth of God continually. The psalmist said, that the blessed person is the one whose delight is in the word of God, is the one who meditates on it, the word of God, day and night. How am I doing there? You see, a mark of a disciple is one who continues in the word, continues in Jesus' teaching, who continues in the truth that results in being happy in freedom. And if you're not happy in freedom, then chances are you're not delighting in and prefer, and you're preferring other things over God. If you're not happy in freedom, then, then, then return to feeding on his word. Go to it for strengthening, not just one time. Continue with it. Stick with it. Hold to his teaching. Let no other teaching, worldview, cultural norms be elevated above it. I ask you, are you sticking with God's word? Is there a particular area in your life right now that maybe is cause for worry or fear or doubts? What truth, what promise of God can free you from enslavement to that emotion? I mean, it really comes down to will the truth of God be your authority or will you be your authority? It's all about having the right master. Jesus, master of your life, does he call the shots? And here's a hard question I ask myself. Do you love to have God tell you what to do? There are times you may not. There are times when facing truth about ourselves is not going to be pleasant. It's really hard to accept. James Garfield said, the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. (laughs) Sometimes that's true. It feels that way anyway. That's why you have to stick with it. Jesus promised the truth that will set you free. If Jesus sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Oh, how to be happy and, and, and freedom. Let me give you the second handle because I need to be done. Second handle is this. We live each day choosing the right master. We live each day choosing the right master. That's how we're happy and freedom. You see, how we live depends on the master we choose. Galatians 5.1, you can check it out. It's going to be in your screen here too. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I ask you, church, are you living out your freedom? I mean, Christians are set free. But have you noticed? You notice some Christians, they look like they're still enslaved. Many are still living as slaves to fear. Many are still living as slaves to others' opinions. Or slaves to to, to some substance. Or slaves to perfectionism guilty or slaves to a certain body image or, or or to your position in life or status or performance and on and on and on it goes Jesus wants you to be free are you living free if not why not all right think of yourself as living in an apartment house and you live there under a landlord has, who has made your life Miserable. So you're going, yeah, I do. <laughs> Hang on. He charges you exorbitant rent. He feels as though he has the right to barge into your apartment whenever he chooses at all hours of the night. Whenever he makes a repair, it's worse after he leaves. And he goes, that's your problem. And then he does nothing to correct. In fact, he makes you pay for the repairs. Your life is miserable under this landlord. One day, someone, comes, someone knocks on your door and says, you know, I've taken over this apartment house. I've purchased it. And, and you can live as long as you like free. The rent's paid up. I'm going to be living in this apartment complex in the manager's apartment right down there. And you go, what joy. You're saved. You're delivered out of the clutches of the old landlords. You hardly have time to rejoice in your newfound freedom when a knock comes on the door. And there he is, the old landlord, mean, angry, demanding as ever. He's come for, his, for the rent. What do you do? Do you pay him? Of course you don't. You confidently tell him, you're going to have to take that up with the new landlord. And he may bellow and he may threaten, he may yell, he may coax, and you just quietly tell him, you need to go take that up with the new landlord. If he comes back a dozen times with all sorts of threats and arguments, waving legal-looking documents in your face, you simply tell him once again, no, 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 you've got to go take that up with the new landlord. In the end, he, he has to, he knows it too. He just hopes that he can bluff and threaten and deceive you into doubting that the new landlord will really take care of things. Our great liberator, our new landlord, Jesus Christ, paid the ultimate price for your freedom. We do not have to listen to the old landlord, the old master called sin. We don't. We can say, take that up with the new landlord. Have you been set free? And, church, let's live like it. Because a true disciple continues in the truth and the word that results in being happy and freedom. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the fact that you've set us free in Jesus Christ and sending him for our sins to pay the penalty and we thank you for that. God, may we live there. May we remind ourselves time and time again that our master is Jesus Christ. If in fact we've put our faith in you, if in fact we're letting you run direct, and call the shots in our lives. God, just work it out in us from this passage this morning and what it looks like for us to live in freedom. All to your glory and praise in Jesus' name, amen.